0: and we're still in the black, so uh, that's pretty good for us. Anyways, I don't know if you heard about one of the guys running for a campaign, which is getting wearying, I know. But his statement was, I'm running my campaign like a bra. Not too revealing, but I still want your support. (laughs) I've said that one before, but it was relevant to my right now, so. Um, Before I begin this, I was just thinking, you know, Philippians was so much encouragement. I can do all things through Christ. God dealt with our sin of worry. And when we come to the book of Galatians, it's not a lot of touchy-feely stuff, you know. But it is so critical because if we don't get this right, um, the gospel is lost. And it has been lost in most of Christendom. So it's really critical that we know what's important to share when we share the gospel with people, too. And Paul's stand for the truth of the gospel message is critical, even though it may not make you feel good about something. So as we saw last week, at the close of chapter 2, Paul presents a profound argument to all people then and today. Who believe that there is something they must do in order to be right with God and he drives home the truth When he said if righteousness comes through the law then Christ died needlessly To claim that you believe Jesus died for your sins as so many do and then to think that it's necessary for you to also then do something Which was in the Galatians case circumcision, but today could be any church uh, dogma or confirmation or baptism whatever you fill in the blank but if being right with God comes through observing any certain laws then Paul's point is that Christ's death had no purpose he didn't need to come if we could actually get there you know from doing whatever it is you've been taught sometimes that you have to do he died for no reason if we believe that it is our own human effort that's involved in having salvation salvation by grace through Christ's death and salvation by human effort cannot exist together. Though sadly, in most of Christendom, that's what's presented. It is one or the other. The error by the Judaizers, which uh, has continued throughout all church history, is what dominates those uh, throughout our land and the world. And so many denominations that declare that Christ's death was really insufficient. Yes, he had to come and die for our sins. But, and then you fill in, what the butt means but Jesus cried out on the cross it is finished which means the debt is paid but for so many they still see him hanging on a cross and uh, not having sufficiently paid for sin in chapter 3 Paul now reminds the Galatians of their own experience of coming to Christ by faith and rather than speaking about his own personal experience of how he was justified by faith, he's going to remind them of what happened to them when he came and shared the gospel message. Now, experience alone is certainly never reliable, but experience based on biblical truth is a powerful testimony. Paul reminds them of his first visit as a missionary, that they had responded to the salvation message by faith in Christ, and Christ had changed their lives. This was all because of faith, not because they followed certain laws. Sadly, false teachers now had come in and taught them that they needed to become Jewish and keep certain aspects of the Mosaic law in addition to believing in Jesus. So Paul is going to address this problem again. And he begins by saying salvation is by faith alone. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. In chapter 1, he called them brethren, but here in chapter uh, 3, he calls them foolish. He's not making a reference to their lack of intelligence. The Greek word for foolish refers to someone who, though capable of clear thinking, wasn't using their head. They were being irrational. He's telling them that they were being absurd, really, and not thinking to actually embrace any kind of illogical view that was presented to them by these Judaizers. This is a very forceful rebuke from Paul. The Phillips translation, many of you probably read, says, Oh, you dear idiots of Galatia. (laughs) In turning away from Christ's death as the only means of salvation, they were being stupid and irrational in their thinking. And to add to this, Paul now wonders if they have been put under some type of spell by a witch. He asks them, Who has bewitched you? The word means to cast a spell and was used to speak of occult powers to have an impact on people. Indeed, it is Satan behind all false religion and all error because he is a liar and the father of liars, of all liars. Biblical doctrine is the battlefield where the spiritual warfare takes place and it's always been that way. Satan is an expert in distorting truth so that people cannot tell the difference between the true gospel message and the error regarding the truth. This explains why very intelligent people can fall for teaching that's really bizarre and off the wall. wall. I mean, we have intelligent people teaching evolution, you know, as dogma and fact. Paul asked the Galatians this question, knowing full well that it was not the spell of a magician nor an evil eye that was thought to hold a spell on someone. Rather, it was Satan bringing these false teachers to confuse the Galatians into thinking that keeping the law could have any part whatsoever in their salvation. Notice Paul does not excuse them. He doesn't say, I know the devil made you do that. You know, he doesn't do that. It's their, he blames them for such foolish thinking and lack of discernment. These people knew the truth about Jesus and the meaning of his death for them. That's why he's so upset with them. Paul was the one who told them about Christ. He says, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This word portrayed was used to speak of a public notice that would be posted so that all of every city would be able to see. So in other words, Paul saying he has made things so clear it's as if he has put Jesus and his crucifixion on a large billboard for all to see. The atoning work of Jesus could not be misunderstood. Paul always stressed the cross and the message of the cross, explaining that a holy God must punish sin, and Jesus took our debt that we each have as sinners and paid for it, when God judged Jesus in our place on the cross. So this is the same truth we have to make clear when we share with people today. The Galatians had heard the message, they had responded in faith, so how could they be believing this lie being introduced to them? So Paul asks some questions to help them think more clearly. He begins by asking, did you receive the spirit when you believed? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law? or by hearing with faith. Paul is asking them if they had to do anything to get the Holy Spirit, or was he given to them at the moment they believed the gospel message? The Holy Spirit indwells every single believer the moment they come to faith in Christ alone for salvation. He is not a blessing to be sought after, to have another deeper experience with him. There is no such thing as a believer who does not have the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9 makes it clear those who have the spirit belong to him. Those who don't, they are not his. You can't, there's no such thing as Christians with the spirit and without the spirit. He then asks, uh, how have you been growing in your faith? Are you so (laughs) foolish having begun by the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Do you really think you can improve on the work of the indwelling Holy Spirit by trying to keep a law? The Holy Spirit is the one who starts that work in our lives the moment we trust Jesus, and it is a walk of faith as he changes and transforms our character to be more like Christ. He is the one who began the good work in us. As we saw in Philippians, he is the one who will complete it. So how could human attempts to keep the law make anybody godly? Yet how many Christians fall into this absolutely faulty thinking that we have to perform in order to please the Lord. The focus moves then away from the heart of the gospel and subtly twists our thinking that God's love for us is in any way dependent on our performance. That is simply not true. Ladies, this is why we have to continually remind ourselves of the gospel message that we claim we embrace. You don't, like, come to the knowledge of the cross and the meaning and then think you're done with that and now I'm moving on. It is central to everything and every way that we live our daily lives. God is doing the work in every one of his children to grow us, to make us more like Christ. Then Paul asked, did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? In Acts 14, Paul had warned the Galatians about suffering and persecution coming because of their faith. And actually, the attacks that came from the religious Jewish community came not because they were keeping the law but because they had embraced Jesus as the Messiah so he's saying so you willingly endured suffering for the faith that you trusted in Jesus at the hands of these Jewish legalists so how could you not turn around and think that you have to obey these same Jewish laws Paul is is hopeful that they are true believers and that their suffering was not in vain he goes on to say so then does he provide you with the spirit and work miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith. Acts records for us miracles that were done by Paul and Barnabas when when they were with the Galatians. So Paul asked them, who did God use for these miracles that they saw? It certainly wasn't the men who just come in saying, you gotta be circumcised. It was the apostles who brought the truth and the miraculous things that happened only validated that they were apostles bringing the truth of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 12:12 makes it clear that the signs of a true apostle validated the message that they preached. The fact that the Holy Spirit indwells them as believers is the result of the gospel being believed not because they should go keep the law by being circumcised. Now Paul's going to switch his argument. Paul really is like a great lawyer is you know, trying to present a case and make them understand. So justification, he is now gonna uh, point out, has always been by faith. You know, a lot of people are confused by that. They think the Old Testament they were saved because they made sacrifices, whatever. It has always been by faith. And so he brings up the prime example uh in Abraham in verse six. Even so Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. It is likely that the Judaizers probably made a big fuss about Abraham. He was the great role model, circumcised in obedience to God as if he were their example. But Abraham was a great man to be admired, but his salvation had nothing to do with the fact that he was circumcised. The only way God has ever justified anyone in any era of human history is by faith. Paul quotes then from Genesis fifteen five in and verse 6. Remember... God had made a covenant with Abraham, the one, uh, and one of the promises that God made that he would have a great nation descend from him beyond number of physical descendants. God had commanded Abraham then later to be circumcised and everyone born from his line to be circumcised as well. But this physical act was always intended by God to be a reminder to the Jewish people The sin nature is passed on, and at that very place is to be cut away. And it was a picture of what's supposed to happen in our hearts. That's why you uncircumcised of heart, God says over and over and over again, you haven't cut away the sin in your own heart. This was just a picture. The big deal was not the procedure. But the focus in the Jewish community became the actual ritual rather than the cutting out of sin in their own hearts. So it was believed that all men, Jewish or Gentile then, needed to have this done, this outward sign, in order to be right with God. But Paul makes it clear, this is absolutely wrong, and he proves it with the scriptures. God told Abraham his descendants would be as numerous as the stars, and he told him that when he was a very old man and had absolutely no children. The response that Abraham had was that he believed what God said, and God declared him righteous. This means, uh, the means rather of Abraham being declared righteous by God was faith, not his circumcision. This justification took place actually 14 years before God gave the command to be circumcised. So the same truth is presented well in Romans 4, and it applies here as well the principle to every person that justification has always been and always will be by faith alone. Therefore, churches, Books you read, messages you hear on TV, whatever. Or individuals who teach that you need to believe in Jesus and you fill in the blank because every denomination tends to have their own thing that's in error. And you go through that and then you can be sure that you're saved. They are teaching the same error that Paul was trying to fight here in Galatians. We are saved by God's grace alone through faith alone. This word, reckoned, is a legal term that means God imputed or credited Abraham with righteousness. So in other words, God transferred righteousness to Abraham's account on the basis of his faith. He didn't do anything to earn this, to achieve this, nor can we. Not only did Jesus die in the place of sinners, but he perfectly obeyed the law in our place. That's amazing, and this perfect obedience to the law is what is transferred to our account when we trust him as our Savior. It is his righteousness he gives to us. True faith always produces good works, but that is never the means of justification, but rather it is the fruit of justification. There are many people who think they have believed in Christ, they said a prayer, um, they're saved, but they only have really knowledge about the facts in their head. The truth is, if there is no fruit of godly obedience to God's word, James makes it very clear, there is no genuine faith. Talk all you want about Jesus. But there is no fruit, there is no reality. When Abraham offered up Isaac, uh, this act of obedience showed the fruit of his faith, that he really believed God and was willing to obey him no matter what. As one theologian declared, faith alone justifies but the faith that justifies is never alone. Paul goes on to say that all justified by faith become sons of Abraham. This must have really ticked off the Judaizers in a great way because the Judaizers um, thought that they were the real sons of Abraham. So those who would become like Abraham uh, would have to be circumcised just like them. But Paul is teaching the opposite that regardless of your ethnic background, when you have the same faith like Abraham, you are a son of Abraham in the sense of having the same faith. Romans 4 tells us that Abraham is the father of all who believe, in the sense that his, he he's the pattern for being justified or declared righteous by faith alone. To further support his biblical argument, Paul gives another truth from Scripture. Being justified by faith was something that was always promised to people from all nations. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. This goes back to Genesis 12 again, when God made his covenant to Abraham. And in those promises, God was actually preaching the gospel to Abraham. That's amazing. In other words, God had ordained from the beginning that Gentiles would be included and would be justified by faith. He made this good news known to Abraham when he said, all the nations will be blessed in you. It would be a descendant of Abraham, we know, Jesus the Messiah, who would justify all who placed their faith in him. Paul is driving home this truth that it has always been God's plan to justify Gentiles. It was presented to Abraham in seed form way back in Genesis 12. Certainly Abraham didn't understand everything about Jesus and the cross he would die on. That was not all revealed to him at that point. But he did understand that in one of his descendants, God was going to provide a deliverer who would atone for the sins of people by a sacrifice. I love that Jesus made reference to this in John 8, 56, when he said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he sought and was glad. How amazing. Abraham believed the promise of the gospel that was seen way back in seed form when God made that covenant with him. In verse nine, so then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. In other words, those who believe the gospel will be blessed with a salvation, just like Abraham was blessed with salvation. Paul then goes on to talk about justification is impossible if you think you're going to be justified by keeping the law. The law demands perfection, and that's really the problem. The law. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Paul has shown them that by faith you are justified. By trying to keep the law a person is actually under a divine curse. Trying to live as a law keeper, which is impossible, brings the curse of God's wrath and judgment. And really that's the way we're all born into this world under that curse. God looks at his law as a whole unit. It cannot be divided. So it must be obeyed in its entirety or else it has not been kept at all. James 2.10 makes that clear. Now, all of us are lawbreakers. All of us deserve God's curse of judgment. No one can find a way to be right with God by keeping the law. Only Christ could do that, and that's what he came to earth in his humanity and did perfectly. And it is that righteousness alone that we are all in desperate need of justification is by faith and not the law he makes that clear in verses 11 and 12 now that no one is justified by the law before god is evident for the righteous man shall live by faith this scripture is seen throughout the old testament habakkuk prophet after prophet says the exact same thing as this paul goes on to say law and faith are actually incompatible to be justified Paul quotes then from Leviticus 18.5, and basically says that if you are looking to the laws of God as your means of salvation by practicing these laws, you then have to live by every single one of them. Faith says you must trust God for all that Christ has done on your behalf. Law says you must rely on what you're doing so you can merit favor with God. And these two are completely different. The only hope we can have is in Christ who has removed the curse of the law by his death. All of us born, as I said, are born under this curse, and all of us fail since the moment we were born and selfishly were demanding and screaming that our mom feed us now, um, have been under the curse of our self-centered sin, the way we come into the world. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, "Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree." So it is only the work of Jesus Christ that makes it possible to be to escape this curse. The word "redeemed" was a word used in Paul's day for buying back a slave uh, from so they could be set free. Jesus was cursed in our place as our substitute, so he could pay the price to set us free from sin's curse. We're in the marketplace as slaves. We're dominated, controlled. Sin is our master. And this is the only way to be set free. Paul quotes from Deuteronomy 21 that speaks of the lawbreaker hung on a tree as one being cursed. And on the cross, Jesus was cursed in our place. He took the full penalty for every time we've broken God's law in the past, today, and in the future. He wasn't cursed for his own sin, but rather for the the sins of you and me. This is where the great transaction took place that we've referenced so many times. Second Corinthians 521, God, he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is the only way we have righteousness. All of this happened In order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith there is no other way to be declared righteous before God than this by faith but the law is still good it had a wonderful purpose it has wonderful purpose the law was never intended to replace salvation by faith that's not what it was about so Paul uses we have to go through quickly just summarizing some of this here, but Paul uses the analogy in verses 15 through 18 of a man's last will and testament, which cannot be altered, and says that the promise that God made way back to Abraham about salvation, being in Christ, is just like that. Even though God gave the law 430 years after he made that promise to Abraham of salvation, um, that didn't change the terms of salvation God's promise of salvation by grace was permanent. The law came later. Now, the law was given to show us that we're lawbreakers. And uh, why the law then? It was added because of transgression. Transgressions, plural. The law given to Moses does not restrain sin. It never did restrain. It just simply reveals it people have always uh, sinned since the human race fell in Adam at the garden. But it was the law that made sin actually a legal offense and showed people the truth that their sin is actually made them violators of God's holy will. One Bible teacher clarified it this way. He said, before the law, our final court of appeal for right and wrong was our own conscience. I mean, Romans 2 talks about that. And its judgments were relatively easy to ignore or explain away. That's the way I was raised, you know. But the law clearly defined what was moral and immoral, godly and ungodly. Sin was no longer a matter of human opinion, but divinely established fact. Now we knew we were transgressors of God's righteous standard, not simply offenders of human law, end of quote ladies it is so critical that we understand this because really no one can be saved if they don't understand this if they fail to understand that they are guilty before a holy god and offended him in every way and that they are condemned by god the law is good and the law is holy because it shows us what we're really like in our hearts so why the law then it was added because of transgressions having been ordained to angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to which uh, the promises had been made. So, the purpose of the law is to show us that we transgress the law and that God is holy. And it's pointing us to see our great need for salvation. As one author put it, and I love this, you can't go to Jesus until you first meet Moses. And that's the problem. I mean, good people think they're good. So they're okay. Okay, oh, yeah, I will believe in Jesus. Then, yeah, that's that's good. That's just icing on the cake. Cause I'm good. I'm counting on that. And if you don't recognize how vile and sinful you are, and how offensive you are to God, then you just you don't even see the real need for Jesus. I love that quote. Paul mentions then that the law was ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator. That God gave the law through angels. They were involved in that whole process with Moses up on Mount Sinai. He didn't give it directly to all the people of Israel, but in some way, angels and Moses were involved in the giving of the Mosaic law. And then Paul brings this point out that both angels and Moses were mediators in the giving of the law, but there was no me- mediator when it came to God giving the truth to Abraham. The Abrahamic covenant was one that was a promise of salvation. The law had mediators to communicate to man, but God was the only one who communicated his promise to Abraham of salvation. In other words, the promise of salvation in Christ was so precious to God. And even though the law is his word in his heart, but God personally chose to directly give the salvation message to Abraham himself. The law, the holy and good, was something that he communicated through two mediators. The law was given to drive us to faith in Christ. As I've said, Paul asked if the law is is contrary to the promises of God, and he said, may it never be. The law simply has a different purpose and function with grace. The law reveals we are sinners. The law works together with grace, like those who are on the same team. They're not opposing each other. The law has everyone really a prisoner of our own sin. It shows us how wicked we are. When the, when the law shows us our sin, we understand we're condemned. We get it. We can't do anything good enough to get right with God because even in our best attempts, we're back to square one, the next moment, the next 10 minutes, whatever. But it is only when you see you can't save yourself by anything that you can do that you are finally driven to seek Jesus and his death for your salvation so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The law clearly shows us that our lost sinful state is so bad so that we will run to Jesus for salvation. The question is, have you ever recognized your own sinful state and the impossibility that you could ever make yourself right before God? I pray that the Lord will use his word and give you understanding and drive these truths home to your own heart. He closes, I just touch on briefly, Before ever having the opportunity to learn about Jesus and salvation, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. (laughs) Paul is saying before salvation, we were prisoners under the law. We were confined by the law. We were held captive by our own sins under the law. There's no way of escape. And then he gives us a new picture of the law as like a tutor. And this has the idea of one assigned to help prepare a child to reach adulthood. And this was a common practice in Rome, that a slave typically was assigned to the legal heir in childhood to bring them all the way up through the time that they would reach adulthood and be qualified to become the official heir. So they helped with discipline, they helped train, protect, till that child reached adulthood. And then, you know what, their role was done. It was temporary, it was a tutor that would guide, and so the law guides, rebukes us, and even punishes us in one sense until we come to faith in Christ. And as painful as the law is, as it reveals how wicked we are, it is actually a good thing, because it helps us see ourselves for what we really are. And you know, our hearts are so desperately wicked, even when we do good things, if we actually reflected, they're still bad. That's a bad, uh, dishonoring things even in our best efforts. So the law leads us to Christ so we can be justified by faith. And he makes us sons and daughters through Christ. All who come to Christ have the same privileges, regardless of our background, slave, free, woman, man, financially sound, financially poor, status in society. It doesn't matter. In Christ, we're all the same. We all have the same privileges, no one's in any higher uh, standing than anyone else. Having faith like this, we are his spiritual children, we are the recipients of his promise of salvation that God has made to all who believe. And he sets us free and we are forgiven. In closing, I just wanna read just a brief quote, but this is such a great book for this topic. It's a little book, The Cross-Centered Life by C.J. Mahaney. He just keeps bringing it back to the cross because if you ever think you can move away from the message of the cross you are sorely mistaken Um, he talks about this is the main well the main thing he sent his son into the world to live a perfect life and go to the cross to bear his wrath for sinners like you and me this is the main thing this is the very essence of the cross-centered life it was Paul's main thing nothing else not even things that are biblical and honorable are of equal or greater importance and yet every day we face the temptation to move away from the cross from the gospel that's why this little book talks so much about what it takes uh, what is it takes to keep the gospel central in our lives we we look at three main tendencies he addresses in this book that can draw us away legalism which means basing our relationship with god on our performance condemnation which means being more focused on our sin than on god's grace that's an easy place to go to mm-hmm. and subjectivism which means basing our view of God on our changing feelings and emotions so what is of most importance to you and he goes on to address this so beautifully in this book so I'd encourage you to get the cross-centered life because it has to be the center of our life it affects everything we do everything we think let's pray father I thank you for your word and Paul's letters are not always easy to understand. I pray that you would help us to grasp the things that are critical to grasp. Lord, we need to know these truths so when we have the opportunity to share the good news with someone, we actually include the things that matter and are important. And helping people see their lost state and their rebellion and sin. Lord, I thank you for the cross that sets us free from ourself and our human effort. That sets us free from the foolishness of our own Uh, plans and thoughts. I thank you for your death being sufficient to cover all our sins. Thank you, Lord, for your kindness and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.